it was, I was done with the scene and, and I remember just going and thinking, well, I was thinking to myself, I was really, that was pretty fucking good. You know, and I mean, I was saying that to myself. She said, well, uh, Michael thinks so too. And I said, what do you mean? She said, he's in the other room. And he was watching this video on a video feed in the other room. And he came in, he said, hi, my name is Michael. He said, that was terrific. I'll see you in Chicago. Hmm. (laughs) And I just, (laughs) And, and, and from that moment on, I thought I'm n- I'm never going to second guess myself again. Right. And I'm going to challenge myself more. I'm going to mm-hmm. uh an acting acting teacher friend of mine Leslie Kahn who's a wonderful acting teacher. She has a great expression dare to suck. Um hmm. I, you know it, it, which basically just means take chances. I had a great experience with Michael. It was the, the became the first of three projects that I've worked with hmm. him uh, you know since we did another thing. We did a, a series called Luck uh, about horse racing for HBO. Right. Another right. one where I'm in a scene with Dust, where Dustin Hoffman came up to me after our very first take. Dustin Hoffman came to me, and 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 he was there was something sort of off. Uh, and I said, I said, are you everything all right? He said, Yeah, I'm just I'm really nervous. This is my first huh. TV show since 1971 or something. Since before right. that, I haven't done I haven't done TV since The Graduate. And I thought, right. okay, Dustin Hoffman is nervous. I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Right. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about The Director, and better yet, get your official director's chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 28 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Uh, I find that all podcasters have the same tendency to not look up the number of the episode before they begin. So I'm pretty sure uh, we're on episode 28 and uh, we're going to dive into it. Our guest is Mr. Spencer Garrett. an awesome actor. Uh, I will tell you more about him momentarily because, of course, I want to catch y'all up on the happenings around here before we dive in. Um, let's see. At this point, it is Tuesday, May 4th. It is the second anniversary uh, for me. Uh marriage to my wife so we're uh gonna go out a little later grab a lunch out in malibu and eat some food on a deck overlooking the water and uh probably be our second time out uh since march of last year um eating food so uh you know wish us luck but we're gonna get out there and see what the uh see what the streets are talking about um and in the world of work um we are going to, let's see, what have I done in the past few days? Well, I just delivered my um, director's cut on All Rise, 
on Friday. That was uh, a fun one. I'm actually very interested in seeing what makes it to the uh, screen uh, because our episode was longer than most, which meant that I, I was doing more editing and more cutting than uh, I might normally uh, re, you know, restructuring the order of scenes, um, pulling scenes out because the initial cut was 15 minutes over uh, running time, which for a one hour show on uh, broadcast is only 42 minutes. Um, so that's 18 minutes of commercials if you're doing the math. And uh, in order to get it down to, you know, somewhere around five minutes, uh, so the producers would have something uh, manageable and have a point of view from which to view my cut. I uh, had to get in there and carve out a lot, uh, but it was fun and kind of put me back in that editor editing bag that I'm used to from my feature film work and short film work. So uh, we'll see what happens, but lots of story, feel good about what we did, got some great style and transitional moments in there. And uh, that's what's up. Um, on the other front, uh, if anybody out there knows why my Apple TV remote is not working, uh, let me know. I welcome the feedback. Uh, it's the it's the black one. You know, I'm holding it up if you're watching on, on video. It's the black joint. I think it's 4K, um, but basically it does nothing but control the volume. And if I didn't have a an iPhone, I would not be able to control the entire TV system. So let a brother know if you know. Um, so that's the word. Um, moving forward uh, on the calendar, as far as like what I'm doing in, in these kind of in-between episode times as a director, I will be going to New York uh, to shoot two episodes of season two of Love Life. Um, which will be starring uh, for this one. Uh, this season will be William Harper. Hold on a second. I'm pulling up um, the casting announcement because I got everything right here in my new phone. And yes. So we've got William Jackson Harper uh, being joined by uh, Jessica Williams from Two Dope Queens and Chris Powell, comedian CP Powell, uh, who was in Detroiters. And uh, this season two is going to follow William Jackson Harper. Uh, this rom-com anthology will follow him. He replaces Anna Kendrick as the focus. He plays Marcus Watkins as he comes out of a years long relationship with the woman he thought was going to be his person. The rug pulled out from under him. He is plunged back into the search for the romantic fulfillment that he thought he had already found. I am super excited to dig uh, into this show. I'm doing episodes uh, 202 and 204. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to, work to that, working with that brother. Uh, he is also in Underground Railroad. Uh, and he was in a good place, just like a really talented uh, brother that I'm looking forward to working with. And uh, it's kind of cool because if you remember our very first podcast guest, Theo Travers, um, we were texting and he told me that he saw my name on the board. And that is because he's been brought on as a, as a uh, consulting writer. And in the other world of small news, um, not small news, in the other news of small world, uh, my writer for the episode of Mixed Dish, um, 
that I did, about, what was that, episode 121, uh, Rochelle Williams is being brought on as co-showrunner and uh, co-EP. So uh, it's dope. I'm glad that uh, I'm leaving a positive wake behind me with the folks I'm getting to meet. And I look forward to working with these folks. Um, so that'll be, uh, I'll be out in New York end of May, looking forward to shooting that. And then after that, uh, I'll head down uh, somewhere else to do another show and I'll maybe I'll piecemeal it out. So I don't hit you with the same information over and over again. But diving in now to episode 28 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, we are welcoming Mr. Spencer Garrett. Um, I am sure that many of you have seen him in something. He is an incredible actor. Uh, hopefully you heard him in our Wednesday morning podcast, but I'm just going to read from some of the titles that he's been in, uh, starting with TV, going back to uh, the late 80s, early 90s. He was in 21 Jump Street, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Murder, She Wrote, uh, Law and Order, which is an obligatory um uh, threshold for all actors to go across before they can call themselves professional. We talked about that with uh, Dorian Missick in episode four. Um, he's been in Insecure, Bosch, Survivor's Remorse, um, Liza on Demand, For All Mankind. Uh, on the film side of things, he's been in Air Force One. We talk about that. Uh, Thank You for Smoking. Transformers, Public Enemies, directed by Michael Mann. We have a really interesting uh, conversation about how he booked that role um, and uh, how that was a transitional moment for him. Uh, and getting back to the TV of it all, he is currently shooting um, HBO's untitled Lakers project uh, that comes from the book Showtime about the Showtime era Lakers in the 1980s. Um, he's playing legendary announcer Chick Hearn. Uh, and so we'll talk a bit about that as well. And so without further ado, we'll get into this episode. Uh, Kelly and I had the had the fortune of living on the same floor uh, in our prior building. And Spencer was Probably one of the first people we just struck up a convo, a conversation with at the at the elevator and uh, became friends. And I've got much respect for this guy. I think you'll appreciate what he's got to say. And uh, I hope you all will enjoy episode 28 of the pod. Let's Roll go. sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. So, man, it, I don't even know where to start. I probably should have thought about this before we started. But um, <laughs> when I look at everything that you've done, um, all the types of roles and from TV to film, like what's your I, what's your definition of your job as an actor? My definition of my job as an actor, I think, first and foremost, is to serve the text, um, you know, as a, as a jobber, as a an itinerant farmer, basically, who goes from gig to gig. I mean, my life has been for 30 years, for the most part, you know, doing lots of episodic and lots of guest spots with some movies in between, you know, lucky enough to do some big, huge movies and some teeny tiny movies and everything in between. I mean, I've, I've, I've covered every SAG contract there is, but mostly, um, mostly doing guest spots. And so, you know, as you know, you get the you get the gig on a Monday 
And then Tuesday, you know, you get the script and then you get a fitting the next day and then you're on the set mm. and there's no time to rehearse or, you know, really, you just jump right in. And um, so I, I, I feel like my job is to serve the writing that is given to me that I'm lucky enough to get. And, uh, and then if it's a director that I've worked with before, uh, you know, there's a shorthand sometimes, hopefully. But if it's somebody that I don't know, and if it's somebody that I'm meeting for the first time, I want to try to get to know them. I want to try to watch how they work. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who, maybe because I grew up in the business, Pete, and I grew up around every facet of it and every aspect of it, I, I even after doing it for 35 years, I love everything about it. I love, mm. I love sitting in the makeup chair for hours and I love gossiping with hair and makeup and I love crafty and I love all of it. So I love just sort of being immersed in, you know, in, in the business of it all. And even after doing it, as long as I've been doing it, every time I show up on a set, I think how lucky I am to right. get to do this. So my first job is, I feel like is, is, is serving the writer, um, showing the text in the way that, you know, the text is meant to be played and then, uh, and then working with the director to, you know, to try to, to serve his vision as well. You know, now um, what was your, what was your two, two part question? What yeah. kind of gave you the, the itch to get in it? And it sounds like you've been in it. It's a family business almost. Right. And, and then what was your first job that you said, okay, I'm working. My, I mean, it's a, definitely a family business. My grandparents ran a theater on a showboat on the Mississippi River in the 1930s. I mean, it sounds like a Norman Rockwell painting, but it's true. I mean, they there was a theater on the Goldenrod showboat that went up and down the Mississippi River, and they would stop in little towns along the way, and people from the little towns would come onto the boat, and they would do a play, and then they'd leave, and the boat would go to the next town you know, Hannibal and Joplin and St. Joe and all along the Midwest. And my mom was part of that. And um, so, you know, growing up in it, uh, it was, I obviously was in my blood and in my bones. It was part of my DNA, but I didn't know that as a little kid. I just knew that, you know, I would, I would come home from school and, you know, Cesar Romero would be sitting in the living room, you know, and I remember, you know, right. I saw Cesar Romero on Batman. So I grew up around like show people. I mean, I, I liken it to growing up in the circus. So there were always like people that I had seen on TV and movies growing up as a kid. And so even though I, I didn't determine that that's what I was going to do when I was a little child, I, there was a sense that, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm going to head in that direction at some point. Um, so I was like the class clown. I was the class ham. I was always putting on little skits and shows and, and sketches, uh, you know, at family holiday parties with my cousins and my family members. You know, I was the one that was like, hey, let's let's go off in the other room and put on a little skit for the adults. And so this was, you know, in LA? I was, this was in L.A. And then uh, and then my mom, because, uh, you know, my mom's been acting since she's two years old. Um, I was born and raised in LA, but then she'd go to New York and do a play for a year. So we'd go from LA to New York. We'd live in New York for a year and then we, and then we'd come back to LA and then she'd go do summer stock. She'd go do a play in Minneapolis or Chicago or Dallas. Mm. So my folks split when I was a year old. So my mom raised me. And so I grew up in green rooms and backstages and, you know, and 
you know, with lighting and rigging and, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, my mom tells a story about she was doing a, a musical called The Unsinkable Molly Brown in the early 60s. And I was sitting off stage on the lighting board uh, watching the chorus, watching this all go on on stage, this watch this live performance. And at one point, I just wandered out onto the stage in the middle of the show. <laughs> Um, and started dancing, apparently. I mean, I was like right. three or four. I just started dancing with the chorus in the middle of the show, um, thinking that was just sort of the natural thing to do. And my mom, in the middle of the number, like picked me up and brought me back off stage and set me down and said, you know, stay here. Right, you know, you right. can dance later. So, awesome. I mean, so the bug was always in me, Pete. But, um, you know, yeah, I was doing little high school, play, you know, elementary school and uh, the actress Penelope Ann Miller was in my elementary school and mm. we did all the plays together. And, uh, and then at one point, um, the mother of my best friend growing up was a writer, a screenwriter, and she wrote a movie of the week. Uh, and in the movie of the week, there was a little German boy. And I always loved doing little accents and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I can do a German accent. <laughs> and she said, oh, great. I mean, it was a little, little enough part. And I had done nothing. I had never been on camera. And, and she said, why didn't you audition for it? And I, my mom drove me to the audition and I got the gig. And I remember being on set at the Disney ranch, um, you know, on, in this Western town, uh, dressed in sort of like, you know, 1880s garb with horses uh -huh. and hay and barns and all of that stuff. And, you know, and I'm, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And all of a sudden I'm transported into this whole other world with cameras mm. and lights and horses and all of that. And I just thought, well, what's better than this? This is better than right. school. Um, and did, uh, you, did, the, did the family support it? Like, cause sometimes the family's like, no, you will not be a football player like me, you know? Uh, but sometimes they're like, oh no, like we're, we're totally supportive of it. Like which, which, which yeah, she was, was very my I think my dad was a little more skeptical. My dad was a talent agent for 50 years and he represented mm -hmm. he represented uh, everyone from Vanessa Redgrave to Donald Pleasance, Oliver Reed. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of he started out in the business. So both of them, I mean, both my mom and my dad, my dad was a press agent at Fox in the 50s. And um, and he was a lot more skeptical. He was I think when I. When I started to do plays in high school and college and stuff, and my I think my dad kind of got the vibe of, uh-oh, that's where he's headed. And, uh, you know, and I remember calling my mom from college one day. I had just gotten cast in a play there. I got cast in the play Equus. Uh, and I called my mom and I said, you know, I think this is what I want to do. I think I want to mm -hmm. do this when I... When I get out of college at some point, when I go out into the, you know, the real world, I, I think I want to be an actor. And there was just a long pause, you know, <laughs> and she said, OK, you're going to you're going you're gonna to do it, you know, be a good one. And you should go right. study with Sanford Meisner at the Neighborhood Playhouse. And, you know, because she had I had watched I'd grown up. Um, I'd grown up watching my mom's fortunes rise and fall. And, you know, I mean. She was a huge television star in the 60s uh, into the 70s. And then she became an activist and she became president of the Screen Actors Guild and a very vocal, outspoken activist uh, in the women's movement and, you know, in, in a lot of different facets. And it, tur it turned a lot of people off and it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, mm -hmm. 
i.e. I, the patriarchy. I mean, she pissed off right. a lot of people in Hollywood. And so all of a sudden the career dipped. And so, mm. you know, I, I, I knew I knew what it was like to, you know, to uh, to have a to have a mom in the business who had done really, really well. And then all of a sudden, you know, and then you get aged out. Um, so I had a lot to think about as, as far as whether I was going to jump in or not. And finally, I, you know, I decided I was going to do it. I was going to give it a shot. And I called my, called my mom and I called my dad. I said, I think I'm going to be an actor. And I called my dad first. And, you know, I said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take a whack at this pop. And right. he called my mom and said, he said, Oh, Kathy, you're not going to believe this. He said, Spencer, Spencer just called me and said he wants to be an actor. And she said, what did you expect? An astronaut? Like, right. you know, right. with, with this lineage. Um, and, you know, and I, I got out of college and uh, I went to theater school and I, I did all of the things. I, I, I did the off, off, awful off Broadway play for $78 right. a week and industrial films and commercials and, you know, crappy theater and Schenectady and weighted tables and, um, and I, but, and I loved the, I loved all of it. I loved the struggle of it, you know? Right. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, about 30 years in, I'm, I think I'm just kind of getting the hang of it. Now what's, what's a, I'm, I'm going to, this question is based off of, off of an assumption. Um, but I found like, you know, with all the new entryways into being in front of, in front of the camera, there's, different experience levels that I come across as a director, right? Yeah. Um, so you find like there's people with raw talent and then you find, and sometimes those people, but they don't understand like blocking or like opening up for the camera, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Or, or yeah. you know, and then you have folks who know that, but they maybe aren't the most, uh, their emotional instrument might not be playing at <laughs> beautiful music. Yeah. Uh, was there more training when you started to yeah. make sure that actors like were uh, were fully versed in all the technical aspects? And what was that training? Um, well, it's two part two part answer, I guess. I mean, as far as the training of the technical aspects of it, the blocking and hitting your mark and all of that stuff. To me, that's that's all stuff that comes by doing that. that that's on mm -hmm. the job training, you know. You don't, they don't teach you that at Juilliard. They don't teach you that at theater school. I mean, that, that I'm aware of. Um, I mean, I remember one of my, uh, one of my first gigs was on a, on a Western and I auditioned and the, and the director in the room said, do you know how to ride a horse? And of course it's, you know, I'm, I'm just starting out. And I said, boy, can I ride a horse? You know, <laughs> I can ride such a horse. I mean, I grew up on a farm in Montana you know, rope and cattle. And I mean, I just really went for it. And he's like, great, you got the gig. And I walked out of the room and I thought, oh God, I hope I don't get this job. And I got the job and all, you know, two weeks later, I'm on a horse. Right. And, you know, <laughs> the, the moral of the story is, you you, you got to know what you're doing. Um, uh. I, I, I found myself in, maybe because I'd had the advantage of growing up on sets and I knew, you know, I knew what was, what was where and you know but i also uh the technical aspects of it were something that you have to learn um mm -hmm. you know you got to come with the full toolbox though when you show up on set so you got to you know i mean the the emotional life and all of that stuff comes from your training 
Um, but as far as uh, as far as having a background and having um, having some sort of a a teaching of uh, you know the technical wherewithal of being on a film set, uh, that's not something that I had. That's something that I that I you know that I learned. But I'm also like like I said, I'm I'm such a fan of all of it that I'm the guy like sitting behind everybody in Video Village watching because I want to learn too. I wanted to. So when I started out at 22 or 23, I wanted to know where everything was. I wanted to know the name of the craft service guy. And I wanted to know, right. you know, every aspect of it, you know, and I think every actor uh, owes it to himself and owes it to the people that are bringing him to work on whether it's, uh, uh, you know, on under five or, uh, you know, two weeks on an episodic or a six month right. movie. You know, you owe it. You owe it to the to the people that are hiring you, and you owe it to yourself uh, to know your shit. You know, to, right. to know to know your way around a film set, um, and that's just something that you get from being, you know, from being interested in it and uh, and and immersed in it. You know, you don't learn that by sitting in your trailer watching TV. You know, you got to be right. in it and part of it, and that's always been my jam. I mean, for me, I just love being, I love being a part of the process. Um, sometimes, sometimes to the annoyance of, you know, of the director that I'm working with, you know, I'll, I'll, ta I'll tax, I'll tap the director on the shoulder and say, do you mind if I, you know, do you mind if I watch, do you mind if I stand back and, and watch? Cause right. I just, I love, I love learning. So I, you know, um, I've always been a fan of that. I love when like <clears throat> actors are like, Hey, like, Oh, what's that? that? That's your like shot list. Oh yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Oh, that makes yeah it. Cause everybody begins to kind of work in concert, I think, which is always going to be to the benefit of the project. Um, you talk, I mean, you use the phrase, the you know, the beautiful music before. I mean, when everybody's grooving and everybody's in sync and everybody's working together for, you know, for the common cause to make this project work, right. it's like it's like a symphony. I mean, it sounds corny, but it's like, you know, when right. all of the instruments are in tune and you, and you make your days and the actors are clicking and everybody's working their ass off and you make a great right. day. Um, you go home satisfied and you come back looking forward to coming back the next day, whether you're an actor or a director or a crew member, right. um, you know, some days are rockier than others, but uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've been on film sets that have just been absolutely chaotic. Um, and there's, there's a, there's an energy and a buzz and something interesting in that too, in the chaos. Right. But for me, if you're working with people that are just at the top of their craft and everything is humming, um, there's nothing that's more thrilling to me. Right. So when you what was from the first roles that you that you landed, were you finding it was more of a film based uh, career in the beginning or it was a mixture of film and TV? Like how did how did things move forward for you? It was more uh, it was more TV stuff in the beginning, I guess. Uh, I mean, I did my first pilot. I got cast in a pilot out of New York in 86 when I was in my early 20s. And I was in the middle of, you know, I was waiting tables and tending bar and do all that, doing all that stuff. And I came out here and I did this pilot. Um, and I thought, and I'd gotten paid more money than I'd ever seen in my life than, you know, in years of waiting tables. And and I thought, you know, and they put us all up at the Chateau Marmont and, and I got a nice paycheck, whatever it was back then. And I thought, wow, it's just going to be this way. We're, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the, I'm on the ride, baby. I'm on the roller coaster <laughs> up. 
you know, and then the pilot doesn't get picked up and you go back and you're slinging drinks at the rainbow room again. So, um, but eventually I made my way back out here. I I was living in New York and I said to my mom who was back there, I said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, make my, make my stake in it. And I came out here and it was kind of like television gig, television gig, television gig, um, good guest spots, like really good, interesting stuff. Um, I think the first couple of things were like, you know, 21 Jump Street and Star Trek mm-hmm. Next Generation, where I go back. If I see myself now, I look back and if I see a rerun of any of those early things and I know how green I was, I know how truly uh-huh. unformed I was. I had some I had some decent instincts uh, that were instilled in me from, you know, from my acting teachers, from Mr. Meisner and the people that I studied with. But I was really green. And right. if if the 57 year old me could go back in time, I would whisper in that kid's ear and say, you know, listen more. Uh, hmm. I, I would have I'd have I'd have good advice. Um, but it's interesting to see that early stuff of mine, um, because I see the beginnings of an actor who had some pretty good instincts and knew 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 his way around a set and um but it took me a couple of years to really kind of find my sea legs right it took me about took me about two or three years of grinding out guest spots and then uh and then little roles in movies started to come like little you know parts in movies and then air force one maybe right. five or six years into it air force one happened um and i caught the eye of some casting people that were doing features um right. i was sort of in that I think I was sort of in that hamster wheel of of casting people who knew me and who knew that I was, you know, I was reliable and I could deliver. And so I was getting gigs pretty consistently. Um, and then I caught the eye of some some feature casting people and started to get more movies about about seven or eight years in. But right. um, I think in the in my first 10 years in the business out here, I I'd like to think that I got to be known as. Uh, as a guy you could bring off the bench and could hit you a solid double, you know, mm-hmm. or give you, you know, or give you a solid 10 minutes on the court, you know, like a re- I, I wanted to be a reliable guy. I wanted people to think right. of me as a professional, a guy who shows up on time, who hits his mark, who doesn't bullshit around, um, you know, who plays well with others, you know, right. for lack of a better phrase and, you know, and, and, and delivers, you know, I, I love there's so much to that though, because I, I like I think of the the first like directors that I was kind of uh, learning about in the TV world that yeah. were getting hired all the time that I had an opportunity to talk to, and the overwhelming thing that I heard was, Ken Whittingham is a nice guy, he's the best. You, you know what I mean? It was it was. I never, worked with Ken. Uh, yeah. You know it it was yeah. like uh, what on Survivor's Remorse probably. Uh, I worked with Ken. I worked with Ken on Survivors, and I worked with him years earlier. Uh, I mean, Ken's been around for a while. Right, uh, right. I I did a thing. My first sitcom uh, that I was a series regular on um, was on UPN. It was called Hits H I T Z with Andrew Dice Clay, uh-huh. and I think Ken was Ken was one of the directors on that. I mean, we're going back to ninety. 95 right. 96 um right right but ken is i mean ken has is a guy who has a reputation is just like one of the best cats in the business just mm-hmm. you know a reliable dude 
um, you know, who, who gives you good, you know, who gives you good work. Um, yeah. and that's what, that's what I wanted to be known as. Right. And knowing yeah. that and seeing that early is like a huge, a huge, uh, it's like getting a leg up on it all. Right. Because at the end yeah. of the day, that's what people are going to want to, uh, they're going to want to give the keys to people that they want to be in the car with, you know? Bingo. Exactly. Exactly. What was the, uh, first thing that you did where you were kind of like, okay, like you mentioned, it kind of took like a couple of years before you felt like you were like in, yeah. in the zone. But like, what was the first thing where you're like, okay, I, I, I can like, I can like harness this thing. You know what I mean? Like I can maybe, maybe, maybe it was, it, it may have been, uh, it may have been Air Force One. Because um, mm -hmm. I remember, because Air Force One was like 94, 95. So, and I'd been out here, I moved out here in 90. So yeah, so five years in and I got Air Force One and and I remember thinking, all right, I've been invited to sit at the grown-ups table, mm -hmm. you know, literally at the table and I'm sitting with Glenn Close and, you know, and Harrison Ford is, I mean, he was in the plane, but I mean, Glenn Close and Dean Stockwell and all of these, and all of these great character actors, um, uh, you know, and and I always thought of myself as a character actor and I'm surrounded by like some of the best in the business. And I remember thinking, it's funny, I'm looking, I'm at my desk and there's a picture of me surrounded by all of these character guys. And I just remember <laughs> thinking, all right, you know, you just got handed the keys to a pretty good car. Now you just moved from a Yugo, mm -hmm. up, you know, mm -hmm. up to a better car. Um, you know, you better, you know, you better know your shit and you better deliver. So I think that's what put me, I, I, I feel like people, people ask me, what's the job where you feel like, you know, you, you, you made it. I mean, mm -hmm. I never think, I never think in those terms. I just think, right. um, there was a moment where I was, I feel like maybe the universe felt like I was ready to be in a, in a picture like that. Uh, and I, I felt very, I felt very nervous about being a part of it until I was doing a scene with Glenn Close and we were running, uh, I was running across the White House lawn and there was a helicopter that was, and it had to land right at the right moment. And, and I had to meet her at the helicopter and then run her back to the White House. And, and I had to hit my mark. I had to run at the right speed just as the helicopter landed pull her out of the helicopter and all of this stuff. And, you know, they don't teach you that shit at Juilliard. They don't teach you that in <laughs> drama 101. Right. I mean, right. that's stuff that I had never done before. And I was terrified. And, and I remember, and we had, and I missed the mark the first time. And Wolfgang Peterson, who I really, I mean, he'd done Das Boat. And I mean, as a director, right. I had great admiration and respect for. So I really, really wanted to, I really wanted to crush it. And I blew it on the first take. And we did it again. I mean, they had to send the helicopter up and back down. And I thought, oh my God, right. I'm 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 gonna go, I'm going right back to the rainbow room after this. <laughs> and 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 I pulled Glenn Close out and we're running back and we get back to the fake White House thing that they had built. And she turned to me and she said, That was fantastic. That was so thrilling, wasn't it? That was so great. She said, I she said, I know you didn't get it on the first take, but like the second it was so great. And and she said, and I was like, I was so, I'm so nervous. And I turned to her and I said, you're Glenn Close. You're not, you're not supposed to be nervous. You're right, Glenn right. Close. 
And she said, are you kidding me? She said, I'm terrified. And that's that was the first time of many times that I have heard mm. people who are so, so-called stars. I mean, in my right. eyes, you know, I, I mean, I, Glenn Close had already had this major career and I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard big stars say to me, oh, I was really nervous about that take and stuff like that. Just kind of all of a sudden you just go, you know, right. okay, everything's right. going to be okay. Um, we're all human. We're all human. We're all human. And, um, I learned a lot on that film. I mean, I learned, I learned enormous amount. I mean, I'd done quite a bu bunch of stuff up until that point, but that's the point where I thought, all right, you're in the show now, you know, mm. you're in the show. Um, you're not gonna, you're so, not gonna be a movie, you're not gonna be a movie star, but you're in a big effing movie and somebody gave you a chance. And that's where I thought, okay, um, it, maybe I haven't arrived, but you know, I'm, I'm at the station and now right. I want to, now I want to make the most of it. When did your, if it did, when did your process change and what was it before it changed? And then what made you change it to, you know, what it might be today? Um, my, I feel like my process is always changing. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm always, I'm always learning new, new ways to, to go about things. Um, but there's, there was one sort of changing point for me that, that, uh, that I, I always kind of go back to, which is, um, I had been after Air Force One and a couple of other things, I had been kind of like cruising along at this nice, comfortable speed of doing a lot of sort of courtroom dramas and kind mm -hmm. of playing the same, playing the same tropes of the same kinds of people, you know, the, the, you know, the smarmy yuppie lawyer, the, you know, the, uh, the corporate prick, a lot of those kinds of guys, like I call them my pantheon of pricks in suits. Um, and there were a lot of them. I played a lot of pricks in suits and I was like, I became the go-to guy, you know, I, right. you need a prick in a suit, call Spencer Garrett. Um, and it was a, and it was a, I was like, great, a gig is a gig. Don't bitch, don't complain, show up, do your thing. And uh, around 2007, I had an audition. Um, I'd become, I, I guess my point is, Pete, I'd gotten very complacent um, mm -hmm. about my work. I think my work had gotten lazy um, because I was used to getting cast in the same kinds of roles that I felt like unconsciously, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't putting in the kind of depth of work that I should have been doing and seeking out other kinds of parts. And a, a great a casting director named Bonnie Timmerman brought me in for, um, uh, for public enemies and mm. for a really nice Michael role. Mann, in, in right? Michael Mann it was my first, my first time meeting Michael Mann. Uh, and it was a, it was a, a real character role. And I'd always, thought of myself as a character actor, like the kind of guy that wanted to do different kinds of, you know, play a, you know, multitude of different kinds of roles, but I'd kind of been in this same, you know, track. And she brought me in to play this real character role. And I was really, I thought, oh, I'm not going to get this. I mean, this is the guy who's like, he's an ex-boxer. Um, and there was just something very kind of like very, 
uh, thuggish and uh, just something that was out of my out of my wheelhouse. I didn't feel like he was in my wheelhouse. And I said to her at the audition, I said, um, you know, Bonnie, I, I, I feel like I would be better. I would be better served uh, or you would be better served if I read for, uh, you know, the, the lawyer or the FBI guy or, you know, a, a guy in a suit. Mm -hmm. I was looking for my comfort zone. And she said, and this is my first time meeting her. And she said, uh, you know, I've been following you for a long time and you're very good at what you do. And she said, at some point, you're going to be very bored with what you do. She said, I want to, I brought you in for this role because I wanted you to be challenged as an actor. And I wanted to see you do something different. And I thought, well, yeah, goddamn, you're right. Of course you are. I mean, that's what I, that's why I'm, that's why I'm here. So she said, come back tomorrow. And she said, I'm not going to bring you in for FBI guy number three or, you know, lawyer number two. I'd done all those guys already. Right. I could do them in my sleep. And she said, I want you to come back and I want you to read for Tommy Carroll. I want you to do this boxer thing. And, and I came back the next day and I, and I, I mean, I, I was prepared for the audition, but I wasn't really prepared because I just, I, I knew I wasn't going to get it anyway. And that was the attitude I went there with. Came back mm -hmm. the next day. I mean, I and I'd really just worked on it, and I came in with some real, some real choices that, um, that surprised me. And they had a a videographer in there. They had somebody coming. It wasn't just it wasn't over Zoom. It wasn't just me and the casting director in the room. They had a guy in there, um, video videotaping it as as he was making, right. you know, as if he were making a film. Um, and, uh, and this was what was going to get sent to Michael, who was in Chicago prepping it. And, and I remember like a screen test, huh? It was like a screen test. It was like a screen test. And, um, and, and I remember doing the scene and feeling when we were done, there was a feeling uh, I felt so, uh, I felt so pure and so light. Mm -hmm. And so uh, satisfied that I had, I, something had clicked into me. This sounds so actory, right. and forgive me, it really no, sounds no, no, I'm, it's, I mean, I'll double back, but no, I mean, this is what we're all chasing. No, yeah, I mean, exactly I, 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 I think I, I had, I, I was done with the scene and, and I remember just going and thinking, well, I was thinking to myself, I was really, that was pretty fucking good. You know, and I mean, right, I was right. saying that to myself and um, and she said, um, she said, well, uh, Michael thinks so, too. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, he's in the other room. And he came in. She had told me that oh, he was wow. going to be watching this wow. and he was watching this video on a video feed in the other room. And he came in and he walked in the door and he said, hi, my name is Michael. He said, that was terrific. I'll see you in Chicago. Hmm. And I just, was like, <laughs> and it was, um, and, and, and from that moment on, I thought I'm, I'm never going to second guess myself again. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge myself more. I'm going to, mm -hmm. uh, an acting, acting teacher, friend of mine, Leslie Kahn, who's a wonderful acting teacher. She has a great expression, dare to suck. Um, hmm. I, you know, it, it, which basically just means 
take chances, make make bigger moves, make bolder right. moves. And right. Bonnie gave me the license and the freedom to do that. And I was able to deliver and and I had a great experience with Michael. It was that became the first of three projects that I've worked with mm -hmm. him, you know, since we did another thing. We did a series called Luck uh, about horse racing for HBO. Right. Another right. one where I'm in a scene with Dust, where Dustin Hoffman came up to me after our very first take. Dustin Hoffman came to me, and 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 he was there was something sort of off. Uh, and I said, I said, are you are everything all right? He said, yeah, I'm just, I'm really nervous. This is my first huh. TV show since 1971 or something since before right. that I've been done. I've been done TV since the graduate. And I thought, right. okay, Dustin Hoffman is nervous. I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Right. Um, cause we're all human. Um, yeah. but that, that experience gave me, uh, gave me just such a confidence to, you know, to, and, and then from every job. Everything and when the movie came out, I think um, people saw it and went. I mean, I I'm, I don't have a huge part in it, but I'm in it enough that people saw it and went, "Oh, Spencer Garrett really is a character guy." Right. Um, you know, now now we know that he's willing to, you know, take chances. Right. So um, for me, that was so, a, that that was a turning point. Yeah, it's so interesting too, like how many, it's like the butterfly effect, you know, like how many little things have to happen to let, to to not help you, but to kind of propel you to be who you can be, right? Yep, yep. Because like Bonnie has to say, uh, you can do more, you know? And then it, you know, it just tapped into something that was already there for you, but you were kind of like, you know, it's like a plant that you stopped watering. And then- That's it, that's it. That's you know, it. A thousand percent. I had forgotten about it. I'd forgotten about the plant, you know, right. in the plant inside me. I'd forgotten to water it. And I was sort of coasting along. Mm -hmm. um, and I was aware that I was coasting along. Hmm. And I remember being, you know, I was like, oh, great. I got another job as another as another, you know, schmucky lawyer. Right. Um, and I could have done that probably for the next 25 years. Um, right. but I knew, I knew that I wouldn't have been content with that. Like at some point something needed to change another, I needed right. to click into another cylinder, uh, to, to, to move into another realm, um, of, you know, of my, of my craft. Um, right. and so when I teach my acting students now, I teach from time to time, there's a school called the Ruskin, Ruskin school, John Ruskin, who was a protege and uh, an assistant to Sanford Meisner, who was my teacher, um, I teach I teach a master class every couple of months for them and and I find myself learning just mm -hmm. as much in my teaching to them. I learn mm -hmm. I learn as much from them as as I'm giving to them. I mean I'm giving them knowledge coming from, you know, a very basic Meisner method mm -hmm. uh, you know that I that I learned as a student um, but the kids that I'm teaching now and I say kids I mean they're everywhere from 20 to retirees in their 60s right. that are starting, you know, there's a there's a guy who was a was a, a an accountant for 25 years um, who in his late 50s decided that his lifelong dream was to be an actor. And he's you know, he's starting from scratch right. and he is he is marvelous. Like he is huh. so good because he is so raw. He's got no tricks. He's got no bullshit. He's got no. Uh, there's no, there's no shtick. 
he is he's learning from the ground up. Um, so his stuff is very raw. And I used him as an example to the younger students. And I'd say, this is where you want to get to. This is like, this is pure acting, you know. Get back to get back to the child. Get back to the child. Get back to the child. There's no on everything you do. Exactly. There's no artifice. There's no, mm -hmm. you know, there's no uh so it's uh it's fascinating because I'm, you know, um I, I'm 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 always learning. I'm I'm learning with every right. new job. Hey, this is Michael Spiller. I'm a producing director on shows like The Mindy Project and the Mighty Ducks. You're listening to Let's Shoot Pete Chapman. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's upcoming book from Michael Weezy Productions. What started in 1993 has been a marathon of persistence and creative pivots, transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him a start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book is for any person targeting a successful career in the creative arts. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is coming soon. Let, let's talk about process because it's not it's not often that uh, at least the directors listening get to talk to actors about how they do what they do. Mm -hmm. um, you get a script, yeah, and let's say uh, let's first talk about the audition process, right? For those of you out there who are auditioning actors, what do you what do you do? You get these, you get this, you know, two to ten pages, right? I've seen my wife's sides. I'm like, they want you to memorize that tomorrow, yeah. um, and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I have to be there at three, or I have to get this tape in by five. What do you do? Well, it's first of all, it's different now. And I, I was hoping we were going to talk about that. Um, you know, there with with uh, with the pandemic and even before the pandemic, um, the casting process seems to have moved into self tape. Um, mm -hmm. There's less and less in person uh, casting going on anymore. Um, I think the last thing I auditioned for in person to be honest with you, was the Lakers thing, the HBO thing. Um, and since then, the majority of it has been self-tape. And I am, I'm having to relearn my own audition process because you're reading in some cases, you, you call up, you call up, you know, hey, Tim, are, are you home today? Because I can you set up your ring light and your thing? Because I got to get this in tomorrow. And maybe Tim's not an actor. Or maybe, the, you right. know, like maybe maybe the person that you got to read with to get the thing in. So it's a different vibe. And, and I'm 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 having a I'm having a tough time kind of getting on board with it because mm -hmm. for me and maybe, you know, maybe Kelly's experience is different, but um, it's like acting in a vacuum. There's right. something from and for me. I love the room. I love the I love the juice of the room. I love the energy of going in. And, you know, there's five or six people sitting there. And you feed off of that. And right. I always have. And for me, it's always been, it's been a chance to act. It's a mm -hmm. chance to perform in front of people because um, that's what we do. And so now with that being taken away and the self-tape stuff, um, 
it's different. I think my process has changed. I, uh, I'll get an audition. Um, my thing is I will take it and I will break it down as much as possible. Um, I, I've never been one to, I've never been one to learn it a hundred percent. I like mm -hmm. having the, uh, I like having the script in my hand. I had a couple of experiences as a, as a, as a young actor where I thought I had it entirely memorized and I put the, mm -hmm. I left the sides in my bag outside in the hallway and then I'm in the room because I just thought I was super cool. And I was like, oh, I've got it all memorized. And then you right. get in the room and then halfway through you go up and you, then you, you know, then you're done. Yeah. Um, so I like having the sides. I also, uh, I like not knowing it entirely word for word. And it gives me an ability to, um, it gives me an ability to improvise within the, right. within the confines of the scene. It allows me to, uh, I will, I will take my, I'll get the sides. I'll read it two or three times, uh, and just enough. So I have a sense of it. And then if I'm in the room, I'll be able to read it as if I'm improvising it. Does that make right. sense? I'll be able it to totally read it. Does. Okay. I mean, I'll be, I, I will, I will, it, to me, it feels like I'm reading it as if, uh, I'm giving, uh, you know, an, an improvisatory reading of the script and that, it, and that it's, it's coming organically. Right. Um, if it's well even, written, I, I find too, it kind of lends itself to that. Like, even like if you hear a, a, a well-written song, you can kind of predict the lyrics to some degree. Yeah, There's yeah, like a little yeah. bit of a rhythm. Like if it, the, the obvious yeah. words should be in this ballpark, you know, like, that's I, right. And you can kind of rely on there being some fluence, fluence, you know, fluency in that. I was going to yeah. ask you though, when you say, when you say break it down, what are you, what are you doing for those who might not know? I take, I mean, I'll take the, I'll take the words and, uh, Basically, if it's a if it's a courtroom scene or whatever the context of the scene is, I will uh, I'll try to find out where 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 I need to be emotionally in, you know, I'll take it down in little pockets, I call them. Mm -hmm. um, and I will just write down for myself, you know, where I think I am in this particular moment. Um, so by the time I have that entire scene, um, I've got a scene coming up on my show in a couple of weeks. I'm, uh, I shouldn't talk about it, but, uh, I've got it I really, will, I, I will say you told me you guys were rehearsing yesterday Yes, and it sounded like you were doing it on your own time. Yes. And I was just like, I fucking love that. You know what I mean? Oh, like I love, that, I love it. Like that. That's just awesome. No, no. I love, I mean, I love it. I, 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 I called the production office and I said, can you put me in touch with, uh, cause you don't have that luxury. You know, when I have the, I mean, I've done, I think I've done five or six scenes already on the show where, you know, you show up and I'm in, I'm in a, in the thing I'm on now, I'm in a three and a half, four hour makeup process in the morning with prosthetics and wig and all of that. So I'm the first guy in there in the morning at five thirty six o'clock. And so by the time I'm out, you know, you're sitting in the chair and if, if the person you're in the scene with is lucky enough to be there, um, you know, you're bouncing right. back and forth. But there's nothing like being able to dig into it face to face. So we actually got to, you know, have a face to face meeting. Um, but I will take, you know, I took I took that scene and I kind of broke it down into little parts because there's a lot of business. Right. Uh, uh, the the Chick Hearn character in this show uh, has a lot of there's a lot of business, whether I'm, you know, fixing a martini 
or right. in this case, I'm uh, I'm coloring my hair. Um, and there's a <laughs> and lot this of things. Is, this is the um, the untitled. Is it still untitled? But untitled HBO. Untitled Lakers H project. Untitled HBO Lakers project. Yeah. About yeah. the Showtime Lakers from the '80s, um, Magic, Kareem, uh, Pat Riley, Jerry Buss—like it's how when Jerry Buss bought the team uh, in '79. He bought the team from Jack Kent Cooke and decided to turn it into this Showtime uh, thing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's Jerry West and Jerry Buss mm -hmm. and Magic and Kareem and 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 everything in between. It is a sprawling. Dickensian epic almost mm. about, you know, it goes back to Magic's family in Lansing, Michigan and Kareem and his activism. And I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's an extraordinarily uh, dense project. Um, right. So, you know, so when I come on and I have a little bit to do, I want to, I want to be prepared. So, right. uh, but I, uh, you know, like I said, I, um, I'll get my sides, I'll get my script and I will, uh, I'll try to find the beats that I want to hit uh, in in the scene, and then I'll kind of throw it away. And then when we're in the scene, I'll have sort of a template that I've already set up for myself in my head right. that I can refer to. Right, right, and just and and know that you're hitting like the mile markers of the scene emotionally and maybe expositionally. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. So. When you get to, uh, well, I guess the process is the same. You know, I was going to ask you though, do, do you feel when you're doing the audition, particularly in this Zoom world, that mm -hmm. you are manufacturing moments now? Yes. Or, yes. okay. Yeah. Absolutely. So how do you, how do you approach that? Uh, it's weird. I mean, I found whether it's, whether you're doing it over Zoom or a self tape, sometimes as an actor, you'll go in to read for a casting director that, is not an actor. Um, mm -hmm. a, a lot of times as actors, you'll go in and, and you'll read for somebody that just, it, it might be a terrific casting director, but the really, really great ones will hire a reader. They'll hire an mm -hmm. actor to read with an actor. Um, but a lot of times you will have the casting director that doesn't have a background in acting. Uh, mm -hmm. I wish every casting assistant and every casting director would go and take an acting class so they learn the language of you know how to speak to actors and and because it's uh it's different i mean they're very good at their jobs but in terms of when you're reading and you're reading with a casting director and the director is sitting there in the room and the casting director is not necessarily giving you the emotional feedback in that scene right i find as an actor you have to you have to for lack of a better phrase, you have to manufacture their performance as well. So you mm -hmm. have to act. You have to act as though they are giving right. you what what an actor would give you, right. um, and that's not always easy. You know, you have to act as if you know you're getting that 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 give and take that you would that you right. would normally get, um, and that's tough. And especially when you're doing it when you're doing a a self tape, uh, you're and you're acting in a vacuum and there's no energy in the room. The advantage, the advantage of that is that you can do it 73 times until you feel like you've gotten it right. The disadvantage is that you can do it 73 times <laughs> and that you could do it right. so many times that you get in your own head and you get in your own right. way. Right. So as we've gotten into, uh, into the, into the uh, self-tape world more and more, 
I find that I'm trying to just like two, three takes and just l let right. it go because oh, otherwise, yeah. I, otherwise I'll be there for hours trying to pick down the minutia and get it, you know, get it exactly right. And you never will, you know, right. it's not uh, a lot of people want the performance that you're going to give on the day in front of the camera um, in the audition room. And that's just not right. going to happen. So uh, I have to, I've got to learn how to just be okay with myself and, and, you know, give it away up to the universe and, you know, and hope you get the gig. But, right. uh, but the manufacturing, the performance uh, is, is, is been for me a, a tricky one for a long, long time. Um, but a lot of good, a lot of casting directors are good actors too. And that really, really right. helps. Do you have any, uh, do you know any, you know, friends who you find are like, man, this, this person is not a good auditioner, but they're an amazing actor. Um, you know, or, or the flip, this person is, uh, uh, an amazing auditioner. I don't even know if that's mm. a, a word, but not the best actor. You mean you I, mean this 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 actor is an amazing auditioner? Yeah, but, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I know some. I know some actors. I love to audition for myself. Mm. I love to. I I love auditioning. Um, I grew to love auditioning. It's like I said. It's a chance to. It's a chance to act in the room. It's a chance to be in the room, and you feed off the you feed off the energy in the room. Um, I know actors that are extraordinary actors that that do not audition well. Right. Um, and that's that's you know, it's tough. Um, there's the you know, the nerves. Uh, I mean, I still get nervous. I get nervous. I'll get nervous with a with a self tape. Right. Uh, and and I, I've learned how to kind of use that energy. But um, there are actors that have been around forever that are sensational actors that just are not good in a room. And that's something for me that I learned early on uh, how, to, how to be good in a room. Right. Um, I also learned it the hard way because I also learned, I would be, I'd go into the room and I'd try to be, be I think my nerves would make me be sort of chatty and mm. I would sort of try to break the ice and try to be like Mr. Charming in the room with the people to kind mm. of break the ice to get my own self centered and, you know, calm down before I did my thing. And then I realized, you know, I would get some feedback, you know, oh, you had a great audition, but they were, you, you talked a little too much, like you were a little mm -hmm. too. So I just learned to kind of like do my homework, go in the room and, and, you know, get out of my own way and move on to the next thing. But it took right. me a while to do that. But yeah, it's I know, I, I knew, I do know people that are, that, uh, that are terrific actors. And I also know, people that are phenomenal auditioners mm -hmm. that, that, that don't necessarily book. Right. Um, it's, you know, but you know, Pete, it's also, it's so arbitrary sometimes yeah. how, how an actor gets a job. I mean, I, you know, when I was coming up, I would, there was a, a building at Warner brothers called building 140, where it's where most, you know, all of the Warner brothers TV shows were being cast and it was like a big coffee clutch and you'd go mm -hmm. there and I'd see 15 guys and we all knew each other, you know, it was the same, you know, same group of, you know, and you could throw a dart at a headshot and any one, and any one of them, any one of them could get the gig and, and, and deliver, but only one of you was going to get it. Right. And, and, but there was a feeling of camaraderie and there was a sense that we were all wishing each other well, 
mm-hmm. and, you know, break a leg before you go in that room. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's tough. Yeah. It's all, it's also very random because I, on my end, I feel like it's, you know, we don't get to necessarily as directors show like how we do a scene per se. Yeah. So it's kind of anchored on like, well, how were you when you were on the couch and talking? It's almost like what you're saying is more important, but trying to be charming and trying to like communicate that you are a a likable person who can navigate. I, I think people. so. I, yeah. I, I try. I wanted to try to be likable at, mm-hmm. at first. Um, and they don't care about that. They just want to mm-hmm. see the work. You got right. five minutes five minutes and 32 seconds to get in and out of that room. They, they know, I mean, at a lot, in a lot of cases, they know the moment you walk in the door, mm-hmm. whether you're going to be the guy before you open your mouth, they know if you're the guy or not, because right. you're either going to be too short or too tall, or, you know, your hair is too Brown or you're whatever. Right. Um, right. So sometimes the choices that are made are not, we have, we're completely out of our control. When you're looking at actors, um, like, what do you look? What do you look for when you're auditioning mm-hmm. actors? When you see an actor for a part for something that you're directing, like, what's right. a quality? What's a quality that you look for? If I can ask I, you a question. Yeah, no, nah, I love that, man. I, I actually, I look for. Well, it's like it's it's multiple. I'm not necessarily looking for a great audition because I know all of the psychological things tethered to it. You know, like, um, and I also know that it's not a real example of anything. It's almost like saying to a basketball player, dribble. All right, you're a really good dribbler, but like, yeah. but what do you do when there's defense? You know what I mean? And like, what do you yeah. do when like there's a play? So yeah. I'm, I try and like allow for a high level of awkwardness because it's just an awkward thing to begin with. Um, when you say, that, when you say, because you said something really interesting to me mm-hmm. when you say I I knew I know the the amount of psychological, you know, stuff that's tethered to it. How do you how do you know that and how did you come mm-hmm. by that? Because a lot of right. directors don't. A lot of directors right. don't have that that you know that uh, emotional toolbox uh, right. or the wherewithal to to understand that. That's really important. What you just said for an actor to hear that is right. is is gold for me. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it, you're, you're the, you're the kind of director that I want to work with because you understand, you know how hard it is for an actor. You don't know yeah, what's going man. on in their life. You don't know what, what, what they've just come from. Uh, you know, when they park their car to go in, right. you know, they could some, you know, somebody in their life could have just gone into the hospital or whatever. All of a sudden you've got to throw all of that stuff. You got to leave it right. all outside the door and go in and do a song and dance Right. for a bunch of strangers to get a job that might pay your rent for the next month. You know, right. that's when you talk about to, when you talk about emotionality and the emotional right. thread, that to me is what, you know, that's yeah, what I mean. I, I mean, they also, they and you understand that acting classes in, in film school. So yeah. immediately I was like, wow, this is some shit, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, even, like I don't want to do a log roll in front of 20 people. <laughs> let alone like, you know, get to the emotional truth of the scene. Um, And I remember having uh, this one teacher, Marquetta Kimball. um, And uh, I think she had been in The Hustler with Paul Newman, among other things. And I remember she just was like, I did this scene and she like was like, 
there's nothing there. That's not real. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm making this shit up. But I, like, I, I, re- I remembered how like how vulnerable it was. So to know that and then to know, like you said, like in New York, like you just had to ride the subway here. Like I've ridden the subway. Like whatever preparation you did in your apartment, man, you got on the R train and 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 and, right. and somebody, you know what I mean? Like like right. to it just it's being the threads are being pulled at. Um and so there should be, I think, a little bit of grace for um the reality of what's happening. Um and then I think what I'd be looking for is like a strong choice. Mm-hmm. You know, um mm-hmm. because oftentimes like the sides are 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 kind of this they're manipulative they are sometimes we're trying to like withhold information or yeah sometimes people don't even know how to pick this is a long-winded answer but sometimes like in your early years as a director you might not know how to pick good sides for the Mm -hmm. audition Mm -hmm. right like you could be Mm -hmm. putting them in, in in a disadvantage by just the shit you gave them to perform and so like I'm looking for somebody who's making a solid, well-thought-out, lived-in, deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. And, and they stick to it. So mm-hmm. there have been times I've seen, like, wow, I did not see that like that. Mm-hmm. But they did, and they stuck to it. And I might be like, I still don't see it like that. <laughs> but, but, you, right. you, but it's a testament to... Because you have gone, since we've known each other, you've gone from broad comedy to light comedy to drama. I mean, you're, you're covering every genre and you understand, you understand that, uh, that actors need to make, you know, different choices for those different kinds of genres. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're working in lots of different worlds. Um, and, and an actor has to have uh, an actor that comes in to audition for a, a, a gig that you are directing has to have all those different tools in their toolbox. So yeah. sometimes, you know, so they have to be, they have to have the equipment to, you know, to make those kinds of choices. Uh, and you, the, the great thing that you said that, that stuck with me is you have the ability to allow yourself to be surprised. You know, you have to allow yourself to be surprised. You have to be open right. to being surprised by an actor's choice. Um, because a lot of directors will, you know, have a sort of a rigidity. They'll have a thing in their mind where, oh, this is how I envisioned it. This is what I want to see the actor bring in to see this right. one thing. But if you, if your mind is open to, oh God, I didn't expect that. How terrific. You know, what a great choice. You, you know, those are, those are the directors right. that I want to work with. You know, those are the, yeah. the directors that I want to work with are the ones that will let an actor play and, you know, get in the sandbox and, and try new shit out. You know, and 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 dealing with like the just the fact that our I guess at its core, when we're really just at the core level of our work, it's all about emotions, right? And the idea that the person who put the kind of um, document of emotions from which we're working was like fully in charge of their own emotions. Mm-hmm is is incorrect like i've like i've come to scenes where i've i've written things where people were like i don't really see the scene like that and it was like well 
wow, I, I'm so sarcastic that I'm <laughs> I'm I'm missing the actual like emotional heart here because right. I never wanted to deal with that shit. And you're acting it and telling me this isn't real. Like I, I had a, I, I had that happen on a film and I had to stop shooting for the day because I was like, wow, that's actually the core of this film. What you've tapped on me not wow. wanting to deal with what this scene's about. Wow. And I was like, so so the idea that like the person who wrote it is like in really in charge, like they 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 know everything they've done. They they no. don't. They don't. Know? They don't. And you come in and then you see something and it's like, fuck, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it that's what it really is. Yeah. You know, and that's what it really to... is. And at at the end of the day, I mean, going back to uh your earlier question about uh, you know, we we're talking about collaboration and I love I love a collaboration with with a writer and a director and the other actors. I mean, when when everything sort of coalesces yeah. and it be you know and it starts to hum, um, you know when you when you find stuff. I mean, I I just a weird example, but on Iron Man three, I had one scene with Robert Downey, uh, who's a mar you know obviously a marvelously inventive actor. Uh, really, and a, just a smart, smart cat and a, and a, with a huge heart. And, and I came in to do this one scene in a bar with him and he didn't really love the way that it was structured. And we were, I was there for weeks waiting to shoot this one day <laughs> and I got, and it was great. I mean, I was in Wilmington, North Carolina and I was puttering around and finally you get the call, you're coming to the set and we're getting ready to shoot this one scene. And there was a lot of stuff involved. Um, and he said, it's not ready yet. Like it's, it, mm. there's something that's not working for me. And we went off to the side with, with Shane Black, the director. And I mean, Robert, Robert at that point, I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't the director of the film, but he had a lot of sway. He, he had a voice. <laughs> he had a, he had a, an enormous, he had an enormous voice. And just in terms of, the creativity that he brought to that role. I mean, he was so right. wonderful in that role. And, and I thought, how, how terrific, like just to be able to take this kind of care with mm. one scene, which just, it just like him walking into a bar and I'm sitting in a bar stool and we have an exchange and there's a bunch of, a bunch of stuff that happened within the course of the scene, but it was uh, the choreography of it, the emotionality of it, all of that. There was something that was off and he wanted to discuss it and he brought me involved he brought me into the conversation and mm. said, you know, what do you think? What do you want to do? And that's all of a sudden it became, it became a conversation. It became a collaboration between yeah. all the elements of the filmmakers. Uh, and that's when it's, you know, that's when it's thrilling. I mean, that's when it's, and, and, and we made it, you know, we made it work. And on screen, it's probably 53 seconds of screen time. Right. right. Um, but it's a powerful little scene and I'll never forget him pulling, you know, he could have gone off with Shane and said, yeah, this isn't working. How do we redo this? But he pulled me into the conversation and said, well, what do you want to do? Right. And, and I just, I have enormous respect for that. Right. You know, right. That's awesome. Well, speaking of that, I, I'd love to ask you like, what's, what's your kind of, um, whether it's anecdotally or just, uh, in, in bullet points, like what would be your advice to, you know, directors and working with actors? Ah, uh, boy. I mean, I've been, I, I, I've, I've been lucky 
I've been lucky. I was thinking of, you know, Michael Mann and I was thinking of Mike Nichols and people that I've been lucky to be in their world that, you know, that come with so much, so much equipment and so much knowledge, I guess, to, to, to the, to the directors that are just starting out that want to direct in TV and film. Um, I, I, I always like to say, um, you know, make sure you make sure you've done your homework um and make sure that you're open to make sure that you're open to an actor's ideas mm-hmm. um and and come prepared to play uh you know i had a I had a great experience a couple of weeks ago with with Jonah Hill on uh who directed this episode of uh the, the episode of the Lakers show um who I had I had a two lines in this scene initially with a bunch of people. And for whatever reason, Jonah sort of focused on me and he kept he kept throwing me stuff to do. He kept playing with me and wanting to play. And the more we did that, all of a sudden it went from being a good scene to a really great scene because of the ideas that he was giving me. He just kept tossing me the balls and I just kept mm-hmm. um and an actor that's willing to do that and collaborate and play with an actor that I'd never met him before. I'd never worked with him. Right. Um, but he saw the totality of the scene and what, what needed to make it work um, and trusted me with, you know, he, he allowed himself to trust me that I was going to deliver. And that was, um, um, that made me feel good. That sort of empowered me to want to bring more and make more choices and have more fun with it. And when a director is doing that with an actor and trusting, you know, mm-hmm. tr- you're trusting each other, then um, uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's like when, when Martin Landau won the Oscar for uh, Ed Wood and he mm-hmm. thanked Johnny Depp and he said, you can't play tennis alone, Johnny. He said, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like a beautiful game of tennis, you know, getting it back and forth across the net, you know, right. and you have to do it together. And, um, and that's what I love. I mean, I just, I love the collaboration. I love the dance of it all, you know, any, anything, uh, any words of advice as, as far as like things to not do things to avoid, you know, <laughs> don't be a jerk. That's on the mug. Uh, that's it. yeah. Don't be a yeah. jerk. Show up, know your lines. You know, I mean, it's the old Spencer Tracy. You know, l- you know, don't bu- don't bump into the furniture. Know your lines. Be on time. Be a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, these sound like really old school, dusty old tropes, but I-, I I mean it, and and I I try to I try to live by that maxim. Um, I try to be the guy that shows up and and knows his stuff, um, and 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 delivers and serves the serves the project uh so that's my advice and also don't be a jerk don't be a jerk well i don't i don't want to i don't want to leave without touching on some of the other things you do because i know that you've produced podcasts um also you perform in support of the national breast cancer coalition um so you know if you want to chat about some of those other things that you do with your talent and what you kind of are looking forward to doing more of down the line. Love to hear. Um, well, America 2.0 was a, a great, uh, a great collaboration that I, that I found with a director 
uh, a writer director named J.S. Mayank, who I was invited to come to a table read of a, a pilot that he'd written about four years ago. And I was, I came away, I didn't know him at all. The casting director uh, brought me in to do this table reading of a very sort of West Wingy, Washington, D.C. based uh, drama. And I fell in love with the writing and I went up to him afterwards and I said, I hate to sound like one of those actors, but I said, <laughs> I really, I really love your script, you know? And I said, if, 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 if anything ever comes of this, blah, 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 blah. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, I wrote this for you. I wrote this character mm. with you in mind. Wow. And so we, which was completely flattering and lovely. And we became, we became good friends. And he was trying to shop the script around at the time. And everybody said, nobody wants to hear from politics right now because of the, the political climate of the country. It's too, tots, it's too toxic. It's too flammable. Um, and you know, politics is just such a hot button right now. So long story short, we, I said, why don't you chop it up into six pieces and turn it into a podcast? And, uh, and we got some great people involved and it, for, for several weeks we did, we turned the pilot into six episodes and mm -hmm. we released them and it became, uh, I think ultimately like the number three podcast in the country, um, which was really, really special. Um, so, I mean, things like that. And then during the pandemic, I mean, I uh, uh, we did this thing called Quarantine. I did a show, uh, Jerry Ying, who's a pal of mine, an actor, he came up with this idea to raise money for the SAG-AFTRA Foundation COVID-19 Relief Fund. Um, we were all sitting in our houses and our apartments uh, with nothing to do and trying to survive this thing out. So he came with this, up this idea to do a sort of a show within a show about a bunch of out of work soap opera actors. Uh, did you see Did you ever see any I of did, it? I did. Yeah. It was funny. Um, it was all improv. It was all made up. Uh, the actors the night before were sort of given story points uh, and like little bullet points to hit. And then we had mm -hmm. three different guys filming from their houses on Zoom. Uh, I still don't know how we pulled it off, but we did 25 episodes. And we ended Amazing. up raising about we raised raised about 20, 20 grand for the for the uh, for the SAG Foundation for the COVID relief uh, fund, which was really really something. And we just had a blast. We were going to do five episodes, and we kept going and going and going, and we kept bringing in special guest stars, and and we just had a blast with it. And it was fun. The National Breast Cancer Coalition, uh, I've I did for about fifteen years. There's a uh, a cabaret that that we did. I haven't done it for the last couple of years now, but um, in fact, here's, it was called Les Girls. And that's that's me in all my glory there in the white tux. Oh, yeah. And oh, it's yeah. uh, Allison Janney and Steven Weber. And uh, we did that for 15 years. I did it. It was a, a hell of a lot of fun. And every year we do it to raise money for the, for the NBCC. And uh, my mom's a breast cancer survivor. I had several friends who were Mm. Uh, breast cancer survivors and, and a, a couple of friends in my family that that we lost. Uh, so I got involved with them. Um, Perry Gilpin, my friend who was on Fraser for many, many years, uh, came up with the idea to do this cabaret and we were going to do it one year. And all of all a right. sudden it turned into this 15 year thing. So um, so that's one of the charities that I'm involved with that I'm that I'm very proud yeah. of and very fond of. Um, yeah, man. And other than that, and I'm just back, I'm just back at work on this on the Lakers show. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, like I've been working fairly steadily through the pandemic since maybe July. And I felt like it's the safest place to be. 
Hmm. Uh, the sets are this, you know, I mean, you know, getting yeah. tested constantly. Um, and you know, we still are, I mean, I'm still, uh, I'm still get I'm still getting tested every, every three days. Most people are vaxxed up now on the show, but, right. uh, it's, um, it's nice to be getting back to, you know, normal ish. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know one of your questions that you, that you had, uh, on the thing that you sent me is, you know, talking about, talking about stories and storytellers. Right. And, right. and I feel like we are hungrier now than ever for, I mean, you know, we are, you, you're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. We love, uh, you know, we love entertaining and we love getting our stories out there. Um, I feel like once we've really turned the corner on this thing uh, and we really do get back to whatever the, whatever normal is going to be, um, mm -hmm. there's going to be an explosion of of more and more and more uh, content, more and more stories, films. Right. I mean, it's just I feel like it's obviously things are moving more towards streaming and television and that's where really the grand great work is being done um hopefully i mean it's a heartbreaking to see things like the arc light and the dome possibly Man. going away which is like my somebody's got to buy that somebody's, somebody's got somebody's just got to i mean you know ted sarandos please you know write a check yeah. um but i i do feel like there is going to be another golden age of uh, now that we've sort of turned the, the corner to a certain extent of the politics of the last four years, and we're kind of moving into hopefully a bit more civility. Uh, I don't want to get into politics. That's a whole other thing. But um, I do feel like we're, we're going to move ourselves into a new era where right. telling stories about, about our times, um, you know, is going to be... Uh, really, really extraordinary what's coming up. Um, you had mentioned in one of your questions talking about how how stories mirror the times or how the art mm. mirrors the times and how the times mirror the art, you know, and things like, uh, you know, Chicago 7, you know, Judas and the Black, Black Messiah, Ma Rainey, uh, the Billie Holiday, all, e even though they were made before, right. uh, before the pandemic, they were made during the time of Trump and they came out during the pandemic when we had time to see them and absorb them. And they right. all had to do with issues of social justice uh, in, in, in different in different ways. They all dealt with social justice. And people were talking about how all of the movies that came out were so depressing this year. Hmm. Um, I I tend to disagree. I mean, I, I right. loved I loved Minari. I loved uh, you know, I love Ma Rainey. I love the films that deal with the human condition and are telling the American story um, right. and that are kind of putting, hopefully putting a healing, a healing touch and kind of putting a Band-Aid, uh, a healing Band-Aid on, you right. know, on the things that we've all been experiencing in the last several years. It, it's know? all very interesting, so. too, because because it's like who when did when did it become uh, the priority to gloss over you know truth and you know the idea of escapism like in our movies we don't want to see anything that might shed a but you know a light on how it really is i think that's i think it's kind of ridiculous or even this uh 
the negative connotation given to the the word woke, you know, which is yeah. Well, the other side of that means you were asleep. So is that that's what was preferred clearly, right. you know? Right. Um, just as just as Antifa means anti-fascism, you right. know. So right. if you're, you know, are you pro-fascism? Um, it, it, the, the, the this this post right. the the post-truth society that we have sort of found ourselves in now, the mm -hmm. way words have become, the connotations of words have become flipped and the meanings of words right. have become flipped. Uh, we, we've got to find our way to, you know, rewind this right. and get back to uh, a sensibility about it. I, I agree with you, man. I feel like the pandemic brought more fluency in 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 storytelling for all the people who just watched more shit than they've ever watched before. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. and then any kind of cultural awakening means hopefully that, you know, like we just watched a promising young woman, um, which was great. And you know, there's probably an argument to be made that several years ago it might not have been made without Me Too the Me Too movement to be yeah. there to support the idea of its content being, yeah. you know, being being what it is, even though they still were smart enough, uh, sadly, to know that it had to have a certain kind of tone, you know, a little bit left of center. So it didn't feel like it was a, a, a mirror to the quote unquote real world for it to work. Right. You mean the but, sort of the, the kind of. Uh surreal world that it lived in exactly yeah a little it, bit because yeah because that that it could very well take like you could just hit royal camera and start shooting that but you know for people who, in the audience and for critics and, and you know they just they were smart to make it a little bit you know angled in in tone yeah. so yeah it could be its own little universe but yeah. everything that happened in there was fucking accurate i i, I, and, I loved and true. it you know? I loved it. I thought she. I thought she was extraordinary. Uh, yeah. I got a. Ch I got a chance to meet her the other night, uh, mm -hmm. and it's fun. And I. I got a chance to tell her how extraordinary she was. She had like. She had like one line in Public Enemies in two thousand seven mm -hmm. before uh -huh. she really exploded. Um, right. You talking about Jason Carrie Mulligan? Carrie Mulligan, Jason yeah. Clark, who who plays uh, uh, Jerry West in in the the Laker thing, is uh, he did a movie with her called Mudbound a few mm -hmm. years ago. And yeah. uh, so they knew each other. So he brought me over and introduced her. And I and I had a chance to tell her, uh, you know, how much I love that movie. She was she, oddly she was there with um, uh, Vanessa Kirby, who was gave another extraordinary performance in right. Pieces of a Woman. She was she was right. amazing. But your you know, your Wednesday morning uh, that you put together during the pandemic. I mean, you know, that that was, you know, that you found a you found a way to make a, a statement that really fucking packed a punch. Um, yeah, not without your help, man. It was, uh, I, we, I was, on, needed, I was we honored needed you for that guy. Oh, buddy. I was, I was honored. I was really honored that you asked me to be a part of that. And, and, uh, you know, and Coleman and everybody involved and, you know, and Kelly just was fantastic. And, you know, you, you took, you told a story about, about Trumpism and uh, and and the Trump era, without without hitting us over the head with it, you know, right. you did it in a really sly and subversive, uh, you know, in kind of in a back in a backdoor way that, that that really packed a punch. I mean, when we read that, we did the Zoom reading of it mm -hmm. initially, uh, you know, and it just it it had such a, a 
a pungency to it, uh, yeah. you know, that, so when I, when I finally got to hear it, I was like, it was just amazing how you put it together. So, um, I love that you, I love that you did that. I love that you, that you, uh, that you crafted this piece of, pol you know, political theater for, you know, I mean, if that's what, if, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know if you want to call it that, but to a certain extent it, you know, it had it a, yeah. It you is know? not, I mean, uh, look, that's the, that's the goal. We do the work to pay the bills and then hopefully do the work that we can't seem to stop thinking about and finally yeah. use our talents and our resources to, to make yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, no, this is, this is amazing. It's been a pleasure, man. It's, uh, I'm, uh, you should have been I my could, first could, interview, considering you were you were ninety feet around the corner. I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, listen, I could talk. I could talk to you all day. I mean, I've got, I've got. I talk about. I wrote out. I I have like pages. All of the questions. This is what oh, a, this man. is what a Virgo. This is what a Virgo I am. So all of the all of the questions that you sent me, I wrote out answers to your questions. I, I don't know whether it. I answered a single one of them, but. Um, but and then I had a whole bunch of questions that I wanted to ask you. But uh, I, I I love this dialogue. I love you. I love what you're doing. Love you too, I'm, brother. I love your career. I love I love that you're you're just you're just crushing it, you know, and doing so many great things. Um, it's really it's such a such a pleasure to see because uh, and I'm hopefully hopefully the gods will put us on the same soundstage together yeah, one of these days. It, it, it's it's coming soon enough. I, I'm a, I. I am sure of it because I can't. I, I can't go somewhere without the stakeholders there already knowing you. So uh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna connect at one point. We will. And we will. I, I got. I got that. I got to read the script too that you sent me. So that that's on my on my to do list. You will. For this you will week. dig that. Can I? I know. We're, I know. We're at the end of our. Uh, I want. I wanted to ask you what yes, sir. what kind of actors do you like working? What what kind mm. of what kind of actors, because you've gotten to work with so many different kinds of people now in your young, relatively young career, you know, what do you, what do you respond to in an actor? What, what turns you on about an actor's mm. performance? Man, you know, it's, you obviously, like you, you married, you married one. I know. Um, <laughs> and I mean, you married a great one. Um, what was it about? Obviously, it was not about her as an actor, but mm -hmm. obviously, you got to work with your wife as right. an actor. So there was some, there right. was a quality that she, right. you know, she brings such a soulfulness and such a depth of character to that performance, you know, as you know, on screen. Um, but what do you respond to yeah, to an know, actor that you work with? I I think it all goes back to. Um, and, and it's funny, man, as I answer your question, I think of um, a, a joke, a costume designer said to me uh, that was quite accurate. She said, when in doubt, dress the character like the director. And uh, and I remember she had done this in a particular film and I was like, oh, those that, that looks great. Yeah, I love that jacket. You know? um, That's interesting. And, and I think about this idea of like being overprepared so you can let it go. And I think that that is the thing that I'm often trying to I love that. Um, respond, that I'm always responsive to. Like, I want to be able to say, uh, hey, what are your thoughts? And you've mm -hmm. got like you like you just showed that legal pad of notes. Like there are thoughts. Here, here, are, my, here are my thoughts, Pete. I, I, exactly. I have, I, have, I, have, I, have, I had them taped all around me. I'm like, uh, I have, I've got too many thoughts, but 
I, know. I love I love talking about this stuff. I could talk about, you know, I could talk about the craft of acting and directing till the cows come home. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, and that's that's what it is. You look I look for that. And then it's like, OK, when you have that and then you can also say, well, fuck that. <laughs> right. And yeah. like, let's go over here because yeah. like there are there's a certain like truth and then there's. You know, I, I, I don't want to pick random numbers, but let's just say there's probably five ways that we could approach it. And they're all going to be they're all going to be honest and truthful. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of like, you know, can you like carve that out and can you identify the like, you know, you know, there's something funny in this scene if we're willing to have that point of view. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 allow the character to live in a moment from that vantage point, and uh, and choosing it for that moment. Because sometimes, mm -hmm. like I, I, I've I've been finding lately that there's been I've been doing things where I'm coming on to shows that are not necessarily eight nine episode eight nine seasons in. They're like one two three, mm -hmm. and it's this weird place where some folks have decided who that person is. Mm. and then there are some who are like okay i've got a pretty good handle on it but like let's try what you're talking about right and and it might be right it might be wrong but like it it offers another color it offers a chance to explore mm -hmm. you know and i guess mm -hmm. at the end of the, the end of that rambling is like we we can be we can be certain we can be deliberate but we can also explore with economy yeah, because <laughs> I yeah. know we have to make days, and I know we have to. Yeah. you know, we don't want to do shit that will never get used. But um, yeah. I don't know. Feeling explore that with I, I'm going to write that. Explore with economy. <laughs> I like that, and I love. I love. Be so over prepared that you can throw it away. Um, you know, yeah. you, you you know all your shit, and now you can throw it away and play and explore. Um, yeah, that's what it's about for me. I mean, like. I didn't I didn't come to the Lakers project uh, with a fully formed, fully formed idea of of Chick Hearn uh, right. or how I was going to play him. I'm 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 finding him as I go. And I'm finding that when when a director that is as inventive as Jonah was a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago is throwing me stuff, I thought, oh, and all of it, it's like adding little pieces to the puzzle. So by the end of the day, that chick that i gave them at the end of the day it was like okay i'm i think i'm almost there with this guy and he he right. allowed me to find more pieces of that character that by the end of this run of this first season i'm going to be fully in in my body as this guy um right. so that's what i love about the collaboration with the director but you know be so over prepared that you can throw it away and allow yourself to play um it reminds me of a quote that i love from steve martin um, and I tell yeah. this to my acting students is be so good that they can't forget you, there you, you know, go. be so good that they can't forget you, you know, like when you're auditioning, when you're in the room, be so on your game that they're going to remember you, whether you get the gig or not, you know, right. they, re they remember that you came in and you were prepared and you did your thing. And, you know, maybe not this time, but the next time, um, that's what it's all about. Man, this has been awesome. Great way to spend a, a Wednesday. So no, great, a Monday. Thank you. A Monday. Um, but this will air on Wednesday. Um, okay. Oh, really? And, wow. Yeah. And uh, much love, man. I appreciate much it. Much love to you.
What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. All right, that was episode 28 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. I hope you enjoyed our director to actor and artist to artist conversation with Spencer Garrett. Uh, I'll have to keep you posted on what is up for episode 29. Uh, I'm going to get in the lab on that. Uh, any questions, you know, leave them on the IG page at Pete Chapman or at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, and we will answer those questions. And uh, as always, y'all, in the meantime, stay safe, spread love, and keep creating.